Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. This Friday is Black Friday, traditionally the busiest shopping day of the year. And we are, for the third year in a row, doing our Black Friday parking event. We're trying to demonstrate to everybody how parking minimums not only destroy the tax base of a city, not only limit the opportunity that is provided to people within neighborhoods and communities, but also is just a massive frivolous waste of resources. You can do your part when you're out on Black Friday. Stop and take a picture of your parking lot. Share it. Share it on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And when you share it, use the hashtag Black Friday Parking. Do those three things and we can change the conversation about parking in this country. Thanks, everybody. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Marone. He is a professor of urban planning at UCLA, the author of the book, The High Cost of Free Parking. I've got on the podcast today, special guest Donald Shoup. Professor Shoup, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for the invitation. I'd like to ask you to give us some of the ways that free parking has a high cost. Well, everybody wants to park free, including me and probably you, Um but the problem is that uh, when we park free, the cost doesn't go away. You know, the cost is still there of a parking structure or in a parking lot. And if the driver doesn't pay for it, somebody else pays for it. Now that, that somebody ends up being everybody, even people who are too poor to own a car. So I, I'm not against free parking. Uh, what I do criticize are parking subsidies. A parking subsidy is a fossil fuel subsidy. It's a subsidy for people who use gasoline to get to the parking space. And even even the parking spaces, are, if they're asphalt, they're made out of fossil fuels. I don't tell people that I oppose free parking, but uh, I certainly do think that parking subsidies have a high cost. The, the one person who did try to estimate the the difference between the cost of just off-street parking and what the drivers pay, found that the, the subsidy for off-street parking is about between 1% and 4% of, of the gross national income. So that's uh, you know about what we pay for Medicare. Um, so I think that uh, it's, it's a huge amount of money that we spend for the parking subsidies that probably go to the wrong people. And uh, the further problem is that if you uh, if parking is subsidized, more people will drive rather than walk or bike or ride public transit or, or carpool. So it's not just that there's a, a lot of money spent on it, but it causes us to uh, travel in the wrong way or even uh, too much. So I think the world would be a lot better off if you paid for your parking and I paid for mine. Why is it so important to get the price right? You know, you, you advocate for metering parking and charging for parking. Why is that such an important response to get the amount of parking right? Surveys show that 99% of all automobile trips end up in a free parking space. Uh, it doesn't seem like that to most of us, especially if you live, uh, you know, go, work at a university where people pay for parking or in some parts of downtowns, but, uh, 
uh, throughout the United States, most people expect to park free at the end of a trip, and that and that means that that we're trying to manage the transportation without the use of prices. We're trying to manage the whole parking supply without using prices, and there's no other part of the economy that we do that with. That uh, you couldn't imagine uh, imagining the gasoline supply without charging for gasoline or the food supply or the housing supply or anything else. We have expensive housing for people and free parking for cars. So I think we have our, our priorities the wrong way around. And the right way around would be to um, allow the price system to show drivers how much parking spaces cost. That is, if they park in a very expensive underground garage, the parking would be expensive. If they're out in a, a suburb and they park in, on the street, where there's nobody else parked there, the parking would be free. So I think we would allow prices to influence both the supply and the demand for parking. Because the parking is free, we've had to to mismanage a lot of the rest of our society. To prevent parking shortages, all new buildings have to become well supplied with parking. The parking requirements are or everywhere for everything. You know, you can't build a restaurant without 10 parking spaces per thousand square feet for example, which means the the parking lot is seven times the size of the restaurant. It isn't just that the parking is free is the problem. It's what we have to do in response to all that free parking to make the system work at all. Because if we we had free parking without all-street parking requirements, then all the street parking would be congested. And, of course, as you know, most curb parking is free. Even in Manhattan, most of the curb parking is free. Prices are really essential for managing an economy, um, except you know the Soviet Union. They tried to do without them. <laughs> we saw how that. Yeah, that didn't out. work out real well, right? <laughs> what happens to a city? What what have you seen happen when a city gets rid of their parking minimums and starts to put a real price on parking? What are some of the transformations that take place? Well, there haven't been many American cities that have done this. A few have done it in their downtowns that they eliminate off-street parking requirements or even put a cap on the amount of parking, um, say that they, they limit the amount of parking a new building can have. And places like um, New York and Chicago and San Francisco have parking caps rather than minimum parking requirements in their downtowns. And places like L.A. and Houston and, and Phoenix and Detroit have minimum parking requirements. And I think we could see pretty easily, where would you want to visit? What city would you like to be a tourist in, in the downtown? Right. Say for a conference hall or a concert hall, either one in, in downtown. We can look at the difference between San Francisco and L.A. L.A. has minimum parking requirements, and San Francisco has parking caps. And L.A. requires for a concert hall 50 times more parking than San Francisco allows as the maximum. So somebody's got to be wrong. And I think if you look at downtown L.A. or, or downtown San Francisco, you say that L.A. has got it wrong. Right. So if you, your question was, well, what happens when cities um, change their policies? I think that more cities are beginning to think that these minimum parking requirements do a lot of harm. They raise the cost of housing because the housing has to come with parking. They distort urban design. The buildings have to be built with a lot of parking inside them, you know, on a podium or in a parking lot. They help pollute the air because of all the cars coming to the parking spaces. They congest traffic. 
They increase fuel consumption. And now we have to worry about the uh, uh, increased carbon emissions because there's a lot of uh, carbon comes out of the cars on their way to the parking spaces. So I, you know, I've made these arguments in, in, in my book, The High Cost of Free Parking, and in other places. You know, I'm an urban planner and I write, I go to planning conferences, and I've made these accusations, let's put it that way, roundly condemned the way cities are planned now. And I have never heard an urban planner saying that, no, minimum parking requirements do not increase the cost of housing. They do not increase the cost of everything else. They do not increase traffic conditions. They do not increase air pollution. They do not increase carbon emissions. It's just silence. You know, I'm happy to debate anybody who wants to defend the way we do it. Most of our planning for parking in the United States, but uh, I think younger people are coming around to uh, agree with me. You know, yeah. That uh, planning students and they they understand that in their planning education, the professors never have any instructions on how to set a parking requirement for a nail salon or a food store or animal grooming studio or anything else. Any of the hundreds of uses for which we have minimum parking requirements. They have no instructions on how to do that because the professors don't know anything about it. All they learn as planning students is that minimum parking requirements get in the way of everything they want to do, like have affordable housing or transit-oriented development or something like that. So what I think is these younger people come into positions of you know, influence. Maybe they'll say, well, look what London did. they say, uh, getting back to your question, what happens when we, when we uh, switch from minimums to uh, to maximums? London, like some other cities, converted from parking minimums to parking maximums. And the parking maximums were lower than the previous minimums. So, but when uh, people looked at the results, they found that um, very few people ever built up to the maximum. But previously, almost everybody built at the minimum. Right. And now when they produced a, had a new maximum and no minimums, the, the average parking supply to new development was half of the previous minimum. They, they didn't build up to the new maximum, but they built about half of the previous minimum, implying that the previous minimum was doubling the amount of parking. Right. So, I, so I'm not against parking. I think that developments obviously should provide some parking for people who are willing to pay for it. But um, I think because we all want to park free, we've engineered a world or planned a world where almost everybody can park free. Say most housing comes with um, parking bundled into the into the rent or into the purchase price. And it seems free. Yeah. <laughs> you can park. It seems like free. And you have to have the parking. And wherever you go, they have to have parking. So... I think we have a sort of a nirvana, a fool's paradise, where everybody parks free at everybody else's expense. You know, I think that's a mistake we've made. It is a fool's paradise. Everybody parks free at everybody else's expense, and we think it's a good idea, and we ought to plan our cities for that purpose. <laughs> I do see sometimes politicians who hear your message and say, yeah, this is what we should do, and we should do this because we also have these big budget shortfalls, and wouldn't this be a great way to raise revenue? There's some pitfalls there in terms of making this politically acceptable. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? How do you mean raise revenue? Okay. I'll give you a concrete example. Here in St. Paul, I'm from Minnesota, and in St. Mm -hmm. Paul right now, they've got some budget shortfalls. And one of the ways they're looking to, to solve the budget shortfall is 
we're going to increase the cost of parking. And hey, we, we should do this anyway, because Professor Shoup says we should, and, and it makes a lot of sense. But I've heard you say well, but they, there's some problems with doing that. There's some problems with using this as a, a budget-fixing tool, right? Yes. Well, St. Paul only got half of the message. And I think you should every city should charge the right price for curb parking. Who could object to charging the right price? And by, by right price, I mean the lowest price the city can charge and still leave one or two open spaces on every block, uh, on both sides of the block. So wherever you go, you can see just what you want and open space waiting for you. So nobody can say there's a shortage of parking. And in cities that have done this, like in L.A. and San Francisco and their downtowns, more prices went down than up because you have to charge a different price at different times of the day. That If you have the same price all day long, it's often too high in the morning and too low in the afternoon. So when... They began setting prices by, not by a political judgment, but by looking at the data. It turned out that more prices went down because most parking was overpriced in the morning. So coffee shops or restaurants were losing business or any store that was open in the morning was losing business. Now, St. Paul wanted to put in parking meters partly because there was a parking shortage um, is it Grand Avenue? Yeah, Grand Avenue. Yep. That it's on? Yeah. That, that's right. I think they made a big mistake by saying we, we're doing it because the city needs the money. They actually counted the money in the next year's budget. So it was clearly they were taking money out of the neighborhood and spending it every place else. I don't think that's fair. What, what has been politically successful is that if you went to Grand Avenue and uh, said, that we'll offer you these parking meters, uh, but all of the meter revenue will go to pay your repair your sidewalks or to plow snow or to plant street trees or put in historic street lights and street furniture or have added police protection or whatever is your number one priority, something you would like to see done on Grand Avenue, but you don't have the money for it. Here's a way to pay for it. If you have the uh, if you have the meters, you'll get all the improvements you want. If you don't have the meters, you won't get the improvements you want. And we'll run the meters just as long as there is an is necessary to manage parking. Say if if the if the demand falls at seven p.m., then the price either goes down or becomes free at seven p.m. If the demand doesn't increase till ten a.m., the price remains free at, until ten a.m. So I think if they combined as a package, a package of prices and public services, the merchants and the property owners would begin to see it in a different way. And it's totally different from saying, we're going to give you parking meters, but we're going to take all the money. So I think it's pretty elementary that that, uh, the city made a mistake saying that we want the money and therefore we're going to put in parking meters. Of course, that's going to be unpopular. But in cities that do uh, offer uh, meters and public services as a package, they're, they're very welcome. There was one city in California I, uh, uh, I visited. You know, I have a second life going around and talking about parking and cities. Well, I think they ought to do. And uh, this was Ventura, California. And uh, I said, if you put in the meters, it would uh, pay for uh, whatever this neighborhood wants. They were going to pay for uh, street sweeping and um, additional uh, street furniture. And, and afterwards, I stayed for a few days and went to a number of restaurants. And every time I went into a restaurant, 
somebody, the manager or head waiter came, who had been to my talk came up to me and said, oh, I love your ideas, Professor Shoup. And I said, well, what do you like about it? Do you think it would reduce traffic congestion or air pollution? And they looked at me as though I was the dumbest person on earth. And they said, no, we want the money. Right. See, if you hadn't offered them the money, they wouldn't have wanted the meters. But an interesting side effect that I think uh, probably is occurring elsewhere is that when they put the, the, the meters in, they had to have uh, enforcement officers. So they got police interns. They call them police cadets. You know, people who would want to be police officers, but they, they can't get in without being an intern. So they hired them to enforce the meters and be ambassadors uh, for the area to show how to use the meters and guide people around. And they were costumed as police officers because they really were sort of like police officers. And the crime rate fell by half just because there were uniformed officers walking on the street to manage the meters. And the further thing that they did was that they used the Wi-Fi to connect the meters to uh, City Hall um, to validate credit cards so they adjust prices up or down remotely. You don't have to touch the meter to change the prices, and the prices are different at different times of day. And they realized that there's not that much use of the Wi-Fi, so they opened up the Wi-Fi to everybody in the metered area. And now the restaurants and the coffee shops all abandon their contract with AT&T or Verizon to provide Wi-Fi in their Coffee shops is whenever anybody opens a laptop, they get Wi-Fi free, free Wi-Fi courtesy of the parking service. Wow! So I think if around the world everybody begins to identify parking meters with free Wi-Fi, they'll say, "I see what you mean." And the people who don't own cars will benefit, and uh, or the merchants will benefit, and the customers will benefit. And it really doesn't cost anything extra. You just, you just have to increase the size of the router. On the, uh, the There's a router on, on the light poles connected to the power grid. And increase the size of the router. And uh, I think it'll, it'll lead to a change in the way we think about Parker if we, if we identify it with free Wi-Fi. Is there any difference between... I mean, I know there's a big difference between like a Manhattan and a, a small town, but in, in terms of your insights on parking and the cost of parking, is is there a different kind of approach you would take in a smaller, mid-sized city than you would in a large city? Every city thinks it's unique. I'm sure St. Paul thinks it's unique. <laughs> it's different from Minneapolis and uh, different from Osceola or, or any other little town nearby. I think most cities are very much alike when it comes to parking. If you have a parking problem and there's a shortage of parking on Main Street in a small city, that's the same as the parking shortage in, on Grand Avenue in, in St. Paul. And you could do the same solution. It just means there won't be nearly so many parking meters in the in the small city, and they won't charge as high a price. Uh, but you have to manage parking. Uh, and I think when you go to older cities, uh, this one I was telling you about in California, Ventura, California, it had a, it had a, a, a beautiful old uh, 19th century main street, but it was in tough shape. You know, and needed a lot of, of public uh, spending to improve it. And I think the meters could help there. And they they didn't have any meters, so everybody complained about a parking shortage. There was a lot of traffic on the streets. And as soon as they put in the parking meters and set the price, you know, so that there were one or two open spaces, almost all of the uh, traffic congestion disappeared because most of those cars were hunting for a free parking space. So I think a, a small town can benefit as well. It's just that there won't be 
as many spaces that have a, a charge. It'll solve the problem in a big city or a small city. Some of the biggest cities like you know, Amsterdam does a great job or London does a great job. They have to charge a high price to, to create some, some vacancies, but they, do a, uh, they can do a lot of good with the money they receive. I've got one last question for you, and I appreciate you taking the time. I, it seems like for a while, you had to have felt like a voice in the wilderness. And now it really feels like there's a lot of momentum around these ideas and that your insights are showing up in more and more places. They're becoming more and more mainstream. Give us a little bit of your perspective on the genesis of these ideas and, and where you think we're at today and, and where you think we're going to be in a short period of time. Well, I think economists have recommended uh, the right price for curb parking for a very long time, but it, it hasn't got much traction because nobody wants to pay for parking. Uh, I think one of the, uh, uh, the key items in, in making this idea popular and discussable, um, and, and I think successful, is to use the meter money to pay for services on the meter blocks, um, you know, what, what St. Paul didn't offer to do. So I think some cities are getting just half of the message that we ought to get the price right, and they don't get the other half of the message. Is to make it politically popular and really useful, you have to uh, spend the money in a very flamboyant way on the metered street, very ostentatious. You put signs on the parking meter saying your meter money makes a difference in Pasadena or turning small change into big change, and then showing it's for street cleaning and um, sidewalk repair and tree planting, and so that everybody knows that the, the, the they can see the meter money at work. Uh, so that they can see the meter meters are working for them rather than against them. And so I think as soon as that idea becomes just as popular as the idea of charging the right price, I think the, these ideas will will spread faster. And, and it's it's contrary to what most cities have done in the past, but. Because most meter money disappears into the general fund, that's why we have so few parking meters. Um, that uh, that most parking is free, and most most curb parking is free in most cities. And I think that if we learn how to recycle the, the parking revenue to improve the neighborhood that is uh, where the uh, charges are, that then I, I, I well, I'll go overboard here. I think if if we get the the the, the price of curb parking right. If we spend the money to pay for uh, public services on the meter streets, and if we remove these awful off-street parking requirements, I, I think many cities will enter into a golden age because there's so much money. The land is so valuable. It is, it's worth so much. And that, that value could go to improve our cities so much. And the minimum parking requirements do so much damage if we could get all three things right. Getting the, the price right, the, for parking right, the distribution of the revenue right, and get rid of minimum parking requirements. I think we'd see, uh, and all over the world, let's put it that way. I'm kind of ambitious. <laughs> that uh, I've spoken all over the world, and and many countries, say like China, they're more receptive than they are here because fewer people own cars, uh, and it's quite obvious that the, only the car drivers will be paying. That uh, and, and the car drivers are richer, so it's not unfair. It's obviously unfair to have free 
parking when when the, only a few rich people own cars. But if this gets around, I, I think that uh, these these ideas will be successful all over the world. China, they're better capitalists than we are sometimes. But this isn't capitalism. This is uh, a market. I think that the the, the, uh, the the government sets the prices. The government owns the parking spaces, uh, and the government spends the revenue. Uh, so it's more like socialism sure. than, than capitalism. It's like successful socialism. There's an enormous amount of very valuable land that the city is owned, and it's squandering the results. It's, a very, it's really mismanaging. And, and I think the example that you showed in St. Paul is an example of this mismanagement that, they, uh, the, that I think the, the transportation experts say that parking meters would would prevent employees from parking all day long in front of their restaurants and, and complaining about that there's no parking for customers and it would provide a lot of revenue for things that the the, uh, the, the neighborhood wants, even to build an off-street parking structure if that's their, their first priority, but uh, it rarely is because parking is so expensive. They'd rather have clean sidewalks than a new parking structure. And so I, I think that... Um, that when we get parking right, that uh, cities will will uh, right themselves. Professor Donald Choup, saving the world one parking spot at a time. I appreciate your ambition. You've long been uh, someone that I've deeply admired, and I thank you for taking the time today to chat with us. No, thanks for calling me. Thanks, everybody. And remember, Black Friday parking. Go out, take your photos, share them, and use the tag Black Friday Parking will help change the world one parking space at a time, just like Don Shu. Thanks, everybody. Take care and keep doing what you can to build a strong town. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, Magnet City! I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.